Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to offer investors and entrepreneurs insights and practical guidance to dramatically improve the kinds of deals you invest in and the returns you get. My name is James Evenson. I'm one of the partners at Crown Private and our investor syndicate, Obris. Obris is an about exceptional people, unique experiences, and bespoke investment. We invest in a spectrum of deals from established companies to startups, and we do so with a proven formula of due diligence, structuring, and management. Our guest today is Rolf Versluis. Uh, armed with a degree in electrical engineering, Rolf's career has spanned from commanding nuclear submarines for the US military to crypto mining and more. Much of Rolf's attention today is occupied with crypto mining. He and his partners are currently launching the SAIL Crypto Mining Fund, a fund that he'll share about in this podcast. Good morning, Rolf. Uh, thanks for joining me this morning. Where do we find you today? Oh, I'm just north of Atlanta in Georgia in the United States of America. Perfect, perfect. Uh, I appreciate you joining us. Look forward to uh, about 45 minutes of talking about crypto mining and the things that are, you're passionate about. So I gave folks a bit of an introduction on you, but uh, the real starting question is, um, how did you get from engineering student to uh, running a nuclear submarine to uh, now uh, crypto mining and establishing your own fund? That's a pretty wide range there. I, I like doing new and different things. And I'd always wanted to be an engineer building things of, of technical stuff. So um, when I had the opportunity to go to the United States Naval Academy and uh, get my electrical engineering degree there, uh, I did. And the nice thing about that is it comes with a minimum five-year indenture in the US Navy, which is a good organization for learning uh, management and leadership and things like that. And I decided to uh, go on uh, nuclear submarines. So there was a, uh, an additional year of postgraduate training in, in uh, nuclear operations theory and practice. And, um, then went out to Hawaii, was on a fast attack submarine, uh, went all over the Pacific for four years. And when that was done, I decided I had enough of, of that and uh, got out and wanted to get into the business world and realized um, I wasn't really a practicing engineer uh, because I hadn't done, been doing designs. Um, and I didn't know anything about the business world. So I spent the next few years learning that from a standpoint of sales in a few different industries, industrial water treatment, um, and then uh, semiconductors. And then I went and worked for Cisco Systems uh, back in about 2000. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a good time to be working for Cisco Systems. Uh, there was, um, and that's where I had the opportunity to participate in one of those technology waves that replaces things. And some people might remember that regular phone systems, uh, PBXs, were replaced by data networks and voice over IP. And uh, then furthermore, now we have you know, video that's just easy to use. Uh, back then, it was just a dream. Back then, you still had to pay for each minute of long distance calls that you had to make. Um, so uh, was at Cisco for a couple of years and then left and started um, my own reseller firm, reselling the Cisco, and so uh, selling products and services and support contracts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and moved to the Southeast to do that and got the opportunity to uh, put my sales and technical experience to use as well as build a company from just credit cards all the way up to over 50 million in sales per year and uh, 60 employees. Okay, 
The other thing I learned about technology waves is that they don't last forever. So in 2012, uh, my partners and I decided that we we're going to look to try to sell the company. Uh, it was still profitable, but the big fat part of the profitability of the wave wasn't there anymore. So we were able to sell the company by uh, 2014, 2015. And, um, that was great. That worked out. Uh, fortunately, along the way, we had done some investments into commercial real estate. And so I had the chance to just sit back a little bit and think about what I enjoyed doing and what I wanted to do. And I played with a few different technologies, 3D printing and flying drones commercially. And I bought a cryptocurrency miner because I've been following Bitcoin from the outside uh, for, for a number of years. It's just when you're involved in running a business, you have to focus on that business. You can't really do other things. And so mm -hmm. I was very happy um, to, to sell that information technology business. And I bought one miner, uh, an ASIC miner that mined Bitcoin, uh, because I, didn't, I, I tried to figure out how profitable this stuff was. And it was very difficult to spreadsheet out because there's so many different moving parts. And for the folks that don't know, um, Bitcoin mining is um, having special purpose machines that solve hash functions. And for Bitcoin, it happens to be SHA-256, a secure hash algorithm, 256-bit, I think. Um, and by doing that, it helps solve the puzzle to figure out which entity gets to um, bundle the next set of transactions and attach it to the blockchain every 10 minutes. And the mm -hmm. bonus for solving the problem is getting brand new Bitcoin awarded to whoever solves the problem. Uh, so so that's you, how it you started with one. In order with to do as an experiment. Yeah. With much like buying commercial drone equipment, you bought one Bitcoin mining machine. Right. So how did you get from one to however many hundreds that you probably have right now? Well, fortunately, I bought this at just about the best time to start Bitcoin mining, which is when you come, because uh, if you look at the price of Bitcoin versus the US dollar or other currencies, it goes in cycles. Mm -hmm. um, it goes in cyclical waves that go up by a order of magnitude every time. And so at this point in time, when I started, uh, Bitcoin was right around $250 per Bitcoin. Uh, so yeah, I bought some Bitcoin and then I bought a miner and all the people that had been mining as the price went down, many of them had gone out of business. So the overall amount of miners on the network, uh, the, the overall network hash rate was very low. So I bought a, a miner and ran it, and it cost me about $50 a month in electric power at my house, which is 12 cents per kilowatt hour. And I would earn about $80 a month in Bitcoin at you know, $250, $300 a Bitcoin. And I'm like, well, I don't know. If I do 10 of these, uh, why don't I try to do that? So I went and rented a small industrial office space uh, that got 200 amps of 240 volt electricity. And fit as many Bitcoin miners as I could into there. And I okay. think it was about 30. Okay. And, I, and I ran that. Are we still and at 200 for the price of Bitcoin? Or is it, it was still 300, 400, 500, um, which was good because there's a lag as the Bitcoin price goes up coming out of a bear market trough. Mm -hmm. There's a lag in people being able to buy and put equipment onto, this, onto the network. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's very easy to order a pallet full of Bitcoin mining special purpose machines, it's difficult to find a place to plug them in. Mm -hmm. Each one of these uses about 1500 watts of power. 
How does and, that compare yeah. to something in the house? What, what's uh, if, if you take a, a, a hair dryer, and you probably don't have a hair dryer, but if you take a hair dryer, <laughs> you let me borrow yours. <laughs> I don't have one either, but I, <laughs> I have three daughters, my wife, and, and yeah, my son is even okay. throwing his hair yeah, out. They all, they all use hair dryers. We all used to use them. Right. So turn it on, lay it on the counter in your bathroom, close the bathroom doors, and just leave it on 24 hours a day. Think about how warm that bathroom would get and how much electric power it would use. That's one Bitcoin miner. Okay. So I was running 30 of them. And, and so this is where my uh, running Navy nuclear power plants and electrical engineering training and information technology with network security and uh, things like that background came into play. It was very straightforward for me to design a system that would provide the electricity, uh, network everything together, maintain the, the data security, as well as bring in cooling. They're just straightforward engineering calculations. Each miner, which is about this big, uses somewhere between 200 and 250 cubic feet per minute of air. So the important thing is don't let the exhaust go back to the intake because then it gets into a positive feedback loop and everything overheats and, and breaks down. So with using very simple math here, 30 miners means I need 6,000 cubic feet per minute of air. So I put a vent in place and bought a fan that was about 10,000 cubic feet per minute and started running it, and it was profitable. So I'm like, gosh, this is, this is nice. What would I have to do to make this my full-time job, as it were, where I could pay for all my uh, family's numerous expenses? Uh, we have four teenagers. Yeah. That's fairly expensive. Um, and so I came uh, to the number of 200. I have to run 200 miners uh, uh, nonstop uh, to be able to do this. And uh, was talking to a friend of mine who was also interested. And so he was interested in partnering. I'm like, all right, well, with two of us, we have to do 400 miners. And so we got the funds together and went and rent rented a, a, a space and uh, started doing the build out and uh, filled it with 400 miners. And everything was working great. Uh, we were still continuing to go, and at this point, Bitcoin was maybe $1,000 uh, per, per Bitcoin. And during that next year, it, it was, this was 2017, it went up to, I don't know, 20000 per it Bitcoin. And so the bad part about being in a market like that, a fast-growing market, is sometimes you can think that you're really, really smart when you've actually, you've just been really, really lucky. <laughs> And so one of the things that I learned running my business was that there's always downturns and you always need to maintain, um, don't overspend. You always need to maintain dollars in the bank. And if you can keep from going into debt at all, that's important. So we made sure that we kept a reserve and didn't spend too much. Okay. Now, do we make mistakes? Absolutely, we made some mistakes. Uh, bought a little bit uh, too much of one type of machine because we mined more than Bitcoin. We mined mm -hmm. Bitcoin. Uh, back then it was Bitcoin and uh, Litecoin and Dash and other cryptocurrencies as well because there's a balance between them. In fact, right now in uh, early September of 2019, uh, the price of Bitcoin compared to the price of uh, all the other uh, cryptocurrencies uh, is huge. I think from a market dominance cap, if you look at market capitalizations, Bitcoin is about 70%. However, this is a pendulum that swings back and forth. Um, and uh, unfortunately, so many people see things in a static kind of way or a linear kind of way instead of a cyclical way. 
So what's important for us is to be able to say there is a cycle and let's try to identify what different part of the uh, Bitcoin to fiat price cycle we are, as well as different uh, other cryptocurrencies. So right now we're mining uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Zcash, uh, Horizon, uh, Ethereum, a few different things that, that we're mining. Mm -hmm. and we get a really visceral feel for the price because every month, we have to sell crypto or we have to have enough money to pay for the power bill. Sure, sure. With the different partners that I'm involved in, so there's uh, three different small uh, crypto mining uh, ventures that I'm involved with right now, our total electricity cost is about $80,000 a month. <laughs> so for, for three years, we've had to run a business where our business, the only form of income from that business is cryptocurrency. We have to figure out how to keep that cryptocurrency secure, how to be able to convert it into U.S. dollars, because that's what we pay our electric bills and taxes, and network uh, costs in and, and new equipment. Um, and then to be able to convert that to U.S. dollars, bring it back to our bank account and do everything else that a small business needs. Maintain insurance, keep the bankers happy, uh, pay all your taxes, all that good stuff. So. Um, the cryptocurrency mining businesses are really the ones that in many cases lead the way for being able to operate in a uh, cryptocurrency type environment. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so a couple of questions on, on this. One would be, um, it, during the high cycles, probably pretty easy to manage, manage the, the, the fun side of it. Low cycles, uh, how, does one, how does one actually stay, a, stay afloat or succeed in those low cycles and particularly when they don't necessarily yeah we could predict that it's going things are going to go down but but when we went from 20 to what we went down to like 3,000 from 20 yeah, to 3, yeah I think 3,200 uh, how how does one manage that such a significant drop because you've already built up the infrastructure you have your hundreds and hundreds of miners and you have your you've you paid out your costs for electricity and everything else, uh, how do you manage those low side, those low periods? Yeah, I mean, part of the uh, costs, and it's actually a fairly significant cost, is building out the power and data network infrastructure. Uh, so getting a building or a facility, buying all the electrical gear, getting all the electrical gear and hooking it up to the power distribution units, the uh, cooling systems, uh, and, and setting it up in a way that it, it works well. And that can take a while to do. If you're doing a building, that can take almost a year to do with all the permitting and other types of things, finding a building. Uh, we more recently moved to using containers uh, that are in a unique way that... Um, We're going to talk about that in detail. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, and then the miners themselves, they go through technology cycles where they get replaced. And here my semiconductor industry experience comes in handy. Because it has to do with semiconductor wafer die size. And so the state of the art on your cell phone, for example, um, the processor in that and, and memory is right now seven nanometers. Seven nanometers, pretty small. Uh, the vast majority of mining equipment out there uh, is operating at about 16 nanometers. But there's new mining equipment that's coming out that's seven nanometers. So it's about two to three times as power efficient. Mm. Uh, so not only do we need to uh, say, okay, we're going to mine and then sell uh, in, in, into dollars 
but we also have to be cognizant of how often do we have to replace all the mining equipment. So we need to maintain uh, a reserve to be able to do that. Nice thing about buying mining equipment is I usually buy it uh, from China or from other places where people accept uh, cryptocurrency. So I don't have to do the conversion to the US dollar. Like it's, it's so fun actually spending Bitcoin. Uh, say I'm buying $100,000 worth of uh, Bitcoin miners uh, or Litecoin miners or whatever, I'll do the, the figure the deal out and then I'll send Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever I use to pay for it. And seriously, within just a few minutes, they've got the money and they're shipping. No dealing with banks, no answering questions on who are you sending it to? Mm -hmm. uh, do you know these people? All that kind of stuff that you do with the wire transfer. But during the down cycle, um, the nice thing is many miners don't operate very low cost operations, especially the ones that get into it late in the game. So one of the things I, I figured out is it was very difficult for me to plan out everything. Um, and it's hard for me to predict the future. Uh, it's hard for a lot of people to predict the future. I think so for I most of us, yeah. yeah, I should just focus on the things that I can control. And the things I can control are what I'm mining, what my costs are, and what my reserves are and the security of my cryptocurrency. So we're right here in North Georgia. Uh, some of the original uh, power dams are still working. They're over 100 years old. So there's a lot of uh, infrastructure to provide electric power that's already been fully uh, capitalized, appreciated, all that kind of stuff. So just as a commercial business, we get pretty good electric rates, uh, even only using uh, one to two megawatts of power right mm -hmm. around five and a half to six cents per kilowatt hour, which is pretty good. Uh, and it's possible to get somewhere between three and a half to four cents in other parts around the Southeast. So this is actually one of the most uh, competitive places for electric power. The other externalities are, um, you know, I don't have to pay for extra security. Uh, business is, is pretty easy to do in America and it's, and it's legal. So by keeping the cost low of having low power costs, low rent costs, not having any employees, just me and my partners doing the work, <coughs> excuse me, we're able to keep our overall costs low. So many people focus on the price of the actual electricity as the main driver. And that's certainly a large cost. But what I learned uh, operating my IT business previously is payroll can be a very large part of any business expense. Yeah. So, uh, what we do is keep a reserve of U.S. dollars, and so during the downturn, like for about six months, whatever we were mining in the downturn, we just held on to it. We didn't sell $3,200 Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. We were just paying our bills in dollars that we had built up when Bitcoin was somewhere between six dollars and $15,000 and mm -hmm. sold. That's the part of, that's important about having a reserve. Uh, without having to go to banks for loans, or if you're forced to sell when the market's at its low, that's kind of a tough spot to be in. Exactly. And that, that was the only time really when the amount of uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that we were mining was the same amount that we had to pay out every month. Mm -hmm. Any other time, there's a significant gap. We're bringing in more cryptocurrency than we're paying in electric uh, prices per month. So uh, that's the way we made it through the low part. First, by realizing that we're in the downward part of the cycle mm -hmm. um, and selling uh, a lot of it in the down, selling it for whatever we pay for our, our electricity prices in, in mm -hmm. the downward part of the cycle. 
and then realizing that there's going to be an end to the cycle. Also, if you look at a uh, graph of the Bitcoin hash rate as the price went down, there's a lot of people that unplugged their miners because they had higher operational costs, higher electric costs, or older uh, uh, gear that wasn't as efficient. How often do you have to replace a miner? Um, you replace it when it's unprofitable. Oh. Uh, so, so when its speed is uh, too slow to, uh, to do what it's supposed to do. Right. And that follows the semiconductor wafer production cycle for the people that are making the purpose-specific miners. Mm -hmm. So this year it's been possible to buy seven nanometer Bitcoin miners, but those aren't the fat part of the market. Um, and it's still early and there's a premium to be paid for those. In fact, in January, February, we were able to, because it was really the teeth of the bear market and people had been running out of money left and right, uh, we were able to go buy hundreds of used gear, uh, equipment miners mm -hmm. uh, for basically 90% discount to what they were selling just a couple of years before. And they're still profitable um, mining things. So that's what we're running now, mostly uh, older gear. And we're gonna okay. wait till, what I learned in the box industry, as I call uh, Cisco, and it takes about a year and a half to actually bring hardware to market. You can maybe bring it to market in uh, six to 12 months, but the people that make Bitcoin mining equipment, probably when the Bitcoin price spiked from that 3,200 up to about 8,000, they said, okay, let's start making some equipment. And you look back to when that was, that was about March. So I expect a large amount of uh, mining equipment could be coming onto the market here between now and the end of the year and the price to go down significantly. I don't like to buy technology when it's super expensive. I like to buy it when it's more readily available and at a better price. Right, right. So keeping your costs low is actually one of the secrets to success. Uh, it, just like in regular business, keeping your costs low while delivering a quality product um, is, is the secret to success in the credit yeah. mining business as well. Are we seeing a surge in uh, miners coming on, new miners coming on or, or people coming back that were away, uh, that sold off their equipment? Well, I don't know. That's hard to tell um, because everybody's very secretive in this industry. In fact, um, one of the things that I do is, is I have a YouTube channel and blog where I talk about how it's possible to be very profitable as a mid-size uh, mid mining operator because... Mm -hmm. All you see in the news is, is very similar to what you see in the U news for regular businesses. It's for large businesses who want people to invest or buy their stock. You don't mm -hmm. hear much about all the mid-sized, extremely profitable business that are probably right around you because they have no reason to advertise uh, to the general public. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing with crypto mining companies. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Let's go back to just some real, a uh, couple of real basics for people that uh, we have listeners and viewers that uh, don't really understand the, the crypto world. Um, we will reference your YouTube channel in the uh, on the, the document for the, the on the global investor podcast. But um, a miner, you're buying a. It's basically a computer that is. What's it? So what is its purpose? Yeah, its purpose is to do uh, calculations uh, at very high speed. So uh, to be a little more uh, explanatory about it, um, people pool their miners together into a mining pool. And this mining pool is software that um, provides uh, a whole bunch of instructions to all the miners on what to calculate. Um, 
because the calculation for solving the mining problem is basically take a, a list of transactions, maybe three to 5,000 transactions, and run them through a hash function. I don't know, multiply one number by the next number, and then throw away anything uh, left over is one type of hash function. Um, and in doing that, uh, that, that rapid calculation, the target is to find an answer that has, I don't know, 0 0.0000, uh, maybe 12 to 15 zeros at the end of it. Mm -hmm. So you put in one number and run the calculation. And if the answer is wrong, you put in the next number, run the calculation, put in the next number. And so the pool tells all these uh, miners to run these calculations very fast. Now, a state-of-the-art mining machine is um, operating at, we'll say, 50, uh, 50 terahash. So that's 50 trillion calculations per second, just for one mining machine. Wow. And <laughs> there's, uh, there's millions of these out there that are operating. So there's a lot of um, calculations that are being done to try to find the answer to the problem, with the reward, of course, being able to append the next chain of or block of transactions to the blockchain mm -hmm. and getting the newly created uh, Bitcoin, as well as the um, fees. So every time a transaction is done, there's transaction fees. So the miners get the transaction fees as well. Um, so how does that uh, how does that work and make money? Well, by putting our miners and joining them to a pool, we get a payout every day okay. of whatever percentage of the hash that our miners contribute to the pool. So we have a steady flow of cryptocurrency income that we get paid out daily. We, we uh, put that into our secure wallets. Uh, we'll put some in long-term storage. We'll put some onto an exchange and then uh, watch the prices because the prices go up and down. Mm -hmm. um, and at local high points, we try to sell. So like last month, I think it was last month, Bitcoin hit $15,000. So we sold some then, uh, which was great because we needed it to pay at the end of the month for the electric price. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're, we're watching, so we, in, in effect, we have to know a little bit of technical analysis on price charting and, and things like that. Wouldn't say that we're gurus at it, but just like most investors who look for good entry points in uh, buying stocks, uh, if there's a, a support level, you try to buy at the support level. Um, anyway, uh, we're, we're buying new cryptocurrency every day. And there's a, a nice uh, shift back and forth between Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency prices. And there's, a, there's a, as much of a shift between uh, Bitcoin price and US dollar price. And there's more and more US dollar trading pairs out there. So it becomes fairly complex. But at the end of the day, we use our uh, expertise to be able to build power systems and cooling systems that are very efficient. We buy these mining devices uh, at good prices. We operate them uh, very efficiently to maintain uptime. We generate new cryptocurrency and keep it secure. Uh, and then we sell it for the best prices possible to pay our bills. And we maintain the difference as our yeah. retained crypto earnings, our retained uh, US dollar earnings. And over time, we build up a larger and larger amount of that. And periodically, we spend some of that to buy new equipment. Um, and the idea being that once you get the initial power and cooling infrastructure set up, that's going to have a good 10, 15, 20 year lifetime. And then you can slot new mining machines in periodically 
And uh, year after year, because we're in this for the long term, we're able to build up a reserve of cryptocurrency. We're able to build up a reserve of US dollars. And of course, with a fund, we're able to uh, show that the fund has assets, as well as to be able to take some of those reserve dollar and crypto and return it to the fund. That's okay. the idea, that's the purpose behind the exercise, as it were. Gotcha. I'd like to focus on uh, something I know you're very passionate about right now, and that is uh, the, where you've taken this business to today. At the Panama event, you shared with us in your presentation about the, uh, the use of containers. And I'm, I'm not gonna ask you specific questions on that because I know some of the information is proprietary, uh, that's part of your secret sauce. But I'd like you to tell our listeners and viewers about um, where you guys have gone in the, the development of your mining equipment. Sure, absolutely. Why, why as well? I mean, what, why, why would I want it in, in a container? Yeah. Um, we were, uh, about a year ago, we were um, driving around, or not driving around, we were visited a few different uh, cryptocurrency mining facilities uh, working to line up to buy used miners. Because uh, we knew it was going to be a good time, so we, uh, me and my partners, Lavar and Reggie, and I, uh, had an opportunity to go to a few different places, and uh, there was one place that was huge. They had um, twenty, about twenty-two megawatt transformers sitting in their parking lot. Uh, all the electrical switchgear inside, and this is right here in um, in the Atlanta area, and the entire building was dark. And I asked the person I was meeting with, I said, what happened? He's like, oh, the building owner got into a dispute with the power company over uh, the electric rate that was going to be charged. So um, just selling the building and left and going to go do something else. And that was further validation um, that to be able to have not just a portable container, but one that can actually still be picked up and brought somewhere else uh, was very important. So when we built out our facility in Dahlonega, which is about a half hour drive north of where I'm at now, we bought a building and an acre of land um, and started building out a internal facility uh, that could uh, run about a thousand miners. And uh, at the same time, I bought a shipping container and came up with a design uh, that would run, there's about 200 in there now, but it sh should fit about 300 com comfortably. There's, now doing shipping containers for mining is nothing new. People have been doing that for many years. In fact, uh, in your area in Washington, uh, a standard thing is to just buy a container, cut holes in it, fill it with miners, power it up with electricity, and you're off and running, which is great. It's a nice low cost way to do that. They're temporary structures. There's less permitting and zoning required, uh, and it's very straightforward. The, the problem is that only deals with some of the potential issues to mining. Because once you uh, drop a container or cut holes in it and hook it up, you're essentially in a fixed position. If you get into a dispute with your power provider or have the opportunity to find power at a less expensive price somewhere else, you really can't take advantage of it except by doing a full another build out. So one of the uh, main points that I wanted to do in the design of our container was to make sure that we could unplug it, close the doors and move it, not just on a truck anywhere, but actually on a container ship because shipping heavy things by water is the least expensive way to do it. Correct. And that way it would reduce risk. It reduce and give us the opportunity to find low cost electricity with doing land and power leases. And by having the, the mobility of it, if someone decides to change their mind or change the terms of the power lease, we could just pack up our stuff and go. 
So it gives us better negotiating ability. And although I think it's extremely unlikely, if uh, Bitcoin cryptocurrency mining was outlawed here in the United States, we would be able to unplug, close the doors, and ship them to another place. In fact, I've had the opportunity to talk with some Latin American uh, people in some Latin American countries where the government has overbuilt the hydropower uh, structure. And there's actually just extra electricity that can be had at a very competitive price. So although it would be difficult for me to go to one of these places and do an on-site building build out, there's no reason that we can't build one of these, uh, gosh, I call it fourth generation. It's my fourth generation design that takes mm -hmm. into account a lot of the uh, lessons learned for not just getting something up and running, but keeping it running. Uh, that's always the hard part, isn't it? Keeping things running. Correct. Uh, in fact, we have a, just this weekend, one of the motors on the fan. There, there's a, a broken motor winding. I think we're still under warranty on that, but you know, uh, that's one fan out of eight that's not operating. Everything's still up and running. If I just had one intake fan, one exhaust fan, a motor winding being down would be a really big problem. Sure. Uh, so again, that's one of the things that I learned in the Navy, uh, running nuclear power plants on submarines is always have redundancy and have the ability mm -hmm. to shut things off to do maintenance. Those things are operating 24 hours a day. Got to have a lot of bearing lubrication grease in there. You got to shut things down. I mean, it's, it's silly little things like that, but those are really important to maintaining uptime and not having to replace equipment uh, more often. So the container is designed to, because it, it's actually less expensive than doing a build out in a building, it, it's uh, more quick and it provides uh, insurance against the risk of, uh, of uh, regulation changes as well as provides the opportunity to find out low power uh, places and go sure. to lease to get low power. Sure. And have you guys uh, transferred this to uh, from uh, just developing your own, having your own containers to actually selling, selling to others as well? Yes, we uh, are offering them to people for sale. Um, they're fairly expensive. Uh, this is a capital intensive <laughs> business. Um, one version of it where if you want to uh, drop it and, and, and run miners out of it um, is it costs about $170,000 to be able to run 300 miners. And the, I have a design that I've, I'm working with a, a power company for uh, power distribution units. Uh, think of them as uh, large power strips that have full remote monitoring and control capability. Sometimes you just gotta, like with your computer, you gotta unplug it from the wall and reboot it. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with these mining servers. Sometimes you just gotta unplug them from the wall and reboot it. So if we're gonna be setting up these uh, containers in remote areas, in addition to the regular monitoring systems that we have, we also have to be able to actually turn off and turn back on the individual miners remotely. So those power distribution units for that are a little more expensive, mm -hmm. got some custom design. But at the end of the day, for one of these remote uh, operating um, systems, it's, it's about $200,000. And cryptocurrency mining is a capital intensive business. So yes, there are people that wanna buy these. And when I tell them I need 50% of the money up front, uh, they're like, yeah, we're not quite ready to do that. But uh, we also haven't really gotten into the uh, trying to find customers and sell these. Um, because even at those prices, there isn't a lot of profitability in them. Um, 
but when people uh, are in a spot where they've bought a few hundred miners and they have them sitting there on the pallets and they don't have a place to plug them in, that's the type of customer that we want. Say, so yes, gotcha. we can build this thing in about two months. Um, you have miners that are sitting there useless. If you uh, provide us some funds, we'll get this going for you and then we'll, we'll, we'll ship them a container. And then they can plug and play. They can put put right. in the, the but then you're well, also and, and and what I also learned is people don't just want products. They want a complete solution. That means products with services. So and there's a lot of different services that people can take can get from us. They can not take, but they can pay us for them. Um, <laughs> uh, planning services, uh, best practices for operational, how to set it up, uh, how to get it running, and kind of being. Um, their technical and operational backstop so that they can, um, if they may not be as experienced uh, as they want to be, they know that we have a team of experienced people that can help them out if they'd like. Right. Now, so let's just say I buy a, uh, I buy a container and uh, I take it down to Argentina where certain areas where the cost of electricity is extremely inexpensive. Um, will you supply the remote equipment as, I mean, so that I can monitor it from, from afar? Not that I'm just going to sit in my office here but uh do you, do you supply everything that i would need to yes and this isn't this isn't software that we build ourselves this is uh commercial mining software that uh, is best practices but yes absolutely would um we put it on site there but show you how to access it remotely and a lot it does a lot of stuff like if a, if a miner stops mining it'll try to reboot it or restart it or things like that on its own uh, it also gives you how much it's uh, mining and how much that compares to the sell price. So it gives you a good feel for profitability. But yeah, it's that type of thing, the, the full uh, system. And what we've also learned is if you want to ship stuff internationally, not only does the shipping container not have to have any holes in it, uh, the wood has to be specially heated so that there's no uh, insects in it. If you want to have it available for import into that country, uh, it has to be fireproof wood. There's all, there's all sorts of things. And sure, we can make one totally out of metal if we needed to, um, it's just for flexibility because the miners change designs all the time. Absolutely. So it's easier to uh, build some parts of it out of wood. Well, I can, I can, uh, I can tell you that uh, many of us really aren't interested in doing our own operations. However, uh, we got excited in July when you uh, presented on the uh, sale crypto mining fund that you guys are establishing. So just to, I, I want to go there for kind of our last few minutes, uh, but let me just give a little introduction to our listeners and viewers. So Rolf and his two business partners, LeVar and Reggie, have uh, figured out how to do this well, as you have demonstrated in, in this, this conversation, Rolf. And now you are launching a fund that will allow others to invest in what? Yeah, so uh, over the years, people have asked, can, can I invest money into uh, your mining? And when I look at what that would entail, in many cases, it would entail doubling or tripling the size of my operation, which would mean a lot more work for me um, without uh, actually getting any additional financial benefit. So for many years, I've told people, no, there's really not interested in taking on any investment money. However, once uh, Reggie and LeVar and I, and those guys are experienced crypto mining uh, gentlemen as well, uh, got together and built North Georgia Crypto Mining as a 
uh, mining business, hosting, uh, services, and with the idea of building out these containers and selling them to people, um, then folks again ask us, can we invest in this? And we're like, well, it's not really very exciting to invest in a uh, sales and services company. Uh, what you want to invest in is the crypto mining, right? And they say, yes. Okay, so we came up with the idea of being able to do a pure play investment into crypto mining. And that's what the purpose of the fund is. So the purpose of the fund is to invest in crypto mining and be able to get the uh, proceeds and, and benefits from that. So as we bring in uh, money into the fund, and we're looking for initial uh, about two and a half million dollars, uh, we would be able to uh, start a company here locally. Mm -hmm. uh, we call that, well, we would call it distributed power technologies. If we wanted to uh, mine in Argentina, for example, we could start a local company there in Argentina that would be owned by the fund. Maybe the same thing in Guatemala or maybe the same thing in upstate New York, Canada. There's, there's a lot of different options there, but we start with what we know that we know that's successful. And then uh, that company would buy containers uh, that are fully built out and ready to go, essentially at cost uh, for us. And if we raise the two and a half million dollars, we should be able to buy about three to four containers and fill it with state-of-the-art mining equipment. Of course, we would use all the best practices that we've learned over the years of uh, mining, of getting things at good prices, buying in volume, and then find places to situate these three to four containers and operate them. And so all the assets would be completely owned by the company that's 100% owned by the fund. And that mining company would get, would buy equipment and services uh, and everything else, but all the uh, proceeds and all the profits after doing the best practices of maintaining some crypto reserves, maintaining some in hardware wallets, putting some on exchanges, keeping a dollar reserves, the and so this is, you know, two, three, five year cycles that we're operating right now on the Bitcoin price. So um, this would enable people that invest in the fund to get the profits from a crypto mining company. And the longer that the that people keep their money invested in the, in the fund, the better off it'll be because some of the first uh, use of the funds will be to buy the container infrastructure, the power and cooling. And that has a good you know, 10 to 15 year life. So as that's um, done, uh, by putting in the mining machines and uh, upgrading them periodically with new technology, uh, everything becomes more and more profitable. But the nice thing about the fund is people can put money in. Um, if they like what the story is and what the reports and the information that's coming out, they can put in more. If they need to, they can take their money out later on. Right. Um, so we thought it was a better to do it this way than to establish uh, a mining company, which is a very capital intensive business, and then do seed round and uh, series A and series B, and then look for people to get their money back when it goes public or gets bought. And this is not that type of, uh, this is not that type of industry. The type of industry is um, you, you invest, and then you operate very profitably as much as you can over the cycles and then get cash flow on a regular basis. So people could then take distributions, maybe they wanted, to, I'm not gonna call them distributions, they can you know, take money out of the fund every year if that's what they feel like doing. Um, so 
I thought it was a great idea that Marvin came up with the idea of doing this as a fund that then uh, creates businesses that are pure play mining businesses because it really gives people the ability to invest in crypto mining but still know that they can take their uh, funds out uh, and perhaps even in not just their local fiat currency but also in cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is a uh, what you guys are doing is a very good example of the type of deals that we invest in, the funds that we invest in, and that is that um, the expertise of you and your two partners, uh, you're applying that to a, a very complicated industry. You've made it. You've, you, you, I hear over and over. You, you let's keep it simple. Is, is what what you're you're saying in terms of uh, how you how you're developing this. And you guys, uh, where I'm going is that you guys uh, collectively really know what you're doing. You've figured out how to how to how to succeed at it, and you just keep improving the efficiencies on that. So I think for us, uh, our goal is to reduce risk wherever possible for our investors. And uh, that's what you guys have done for yourselves. And that's what you're doing with the fund as well, is to make it, keep it as simple as possible in a very complicated and complex environment, uh, but then keep, figure out how to keep making money on it. So um, we're pleased to be uh, involved with this. So Marvin that you referenced is my business partner with Crown Financial. And uh, for this is, uh, the fund will be available exclusively to accredited in, or sophisticated investors. And by contacting us, we can uh, get anyone the, the details on, on the fund. It's about to be launched, I believe, what, in just the next few weeks, right, Rolf? Yes, it's important to get the uh, fund paperwork done uh, correctly. Absolutely. We don't Absolutely. want any kind of issues with the Security Exchange Commission or anything else. Uh, but once we do that, we're really going to um, uh, work to meet, to raise the amount of uh, money that we're looking for initially and then uh, get going. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be very difficult. We've already had significant expressions of interest just waiting for you to uh, to get to get it to get it launched. Uh, so that is this is this is exciting. I uh, I had wanted to interview you ever on this ever since the well actually a uh, year and a half ago when you presented on your mining operation at our Austin meetup when you and in in Grant uh, gave us your uh, your son gave us your uh, your business model. So uh, I, I appreciate what's happened in 18 months since since that uh, Austin meetup. And I look forward to what's going to happen over the next, as you said, five, five to 10 years in this. It's a young industry, but you guys have really matured quickly in that. It really is. It's, it's uh, I love being in young industries that are rapidly growing and rapidly changing. That's uh, one of the strengths that I've learned that I have is to be able to figure out new technology quickly and how to make money and, and apply it. Uh, and that's really where I, uh, you know, I get, get the joy from. So by, yeah. by being doing this fund, we have the opportunity to do this at a slightly bigger level and uh, do it uh, a more international. And I, uh, me and my partners have both enjoyed certainly meeting uh, the folks at, at, at Obris in, in, in Panama, the, the, the folks that we hadn't met before, mm -hmm. um, but also the opportunity like, Hey, if, you know, we had, if we got to travel to Argentina or, you know, some other country to, to set these up, I would enjoy that. So, um, 
<laughs> so just being able to do things at a slightly bigger level. It doesn't have to be a monster big level or like Bitfury or all these other large mining concerns that are doing hundreds of millions of dollars of investment and setting up things in caves in Norway and Iceland. You can have a very profitable mining facility if you focus on costs and focus on operating it in, in a profitable manner. And so that's yeah. what we're looking to do. Yeah, and that's what you're already doing. You're just scaling it. So, all right. Well, hey, this is great. I thank you very much for sharing your time and your expertise with us. And uh, we'll make things. We'll make the, uh, the the documents available soon to those who uh, are, are are accredited or sophisticated investors that can uh, that can invest in it. Uh, but Rolf, thanks very much for your time. It's a pleasure. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, James. Great talking with you. All right. Take care. You can stay tuned on our website for uh, forthcoming events. Our members and guests are an amazing group of self-made and accomplished investors. We come from 15 countries and a wide variety of professions. We share the common pursuits of surrounding ourselves with great people in great places and gaining significant returns in investing. Thanks for joining me this week.